Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the podcast that makes knob jokes in times of adversity. This week on Heart and Hand, you would think at our age we'd be used to a disappointing semi. So welcome to Heart and Hand Rangers Podcast, my name is David Edgar, I'm your host and I'm joined this week, uh, it's a big week so I'm joined by not one but two guests, um, first up is pod stalwart Mr Ian Hogg, how are you doing my man? Good evening David, I hope you're well. Well, <laughs> that well is a really bad um, a bad way to phrase it Ian, so we're not off to a good start here. And uh, making his flagship show debut after a, a, an impressive run on the on the Friday preview show is Andy McGowan. Hi guys, glad to be back on. Excellent, so no point fannying about here lads, uh, I think we saw enough of that yesterday. Let's just get straight to it, the match at Hamden Park, Rangers versus Motherwell League Cup semi-final. Uh, first half uh, was, uh, having watched the game live then watched it back, first half Rangers were I would say slightly the better team, certainly the, with most possession and we had more opportunities, although I would say the best opportunity fell to Motherwell when the fullback um, uh, crashed a shot that Ryan Jack somehow managed to get off the line and Jack Anik made a good save after it. Um, some some naughty elbows were thrown by Motherwell's uh, uh, Bowman, and we'll come back to that in the second half. I thought it had given us a good platform to go on and build from, but it turned out that it was actually the high water mark because into the second half we had one of our now traditional 45 to 55 minute periods where we concede a goal, a really bad goal, a really scrappy, awful goal for Louis Moult. Didn't really threaten an awful lot after it. Um, Josh Windass had missed a really good chance just before it and Motherwell went up the park and pretty much scored from a set piece as well, which is disappointing, especially after the, the St Johnson game where we'd handled them so well. 
Um, Rangers kind of fought manfully. Pedro made a change. He brought on um, the man for the, the the ineffectual Pena, but that meant the ineffectual Windass was shoved into the number 10 role. It didn't really work. And to be honest, the players didn't look like they thought they could get it back, and they certainly didn't when Louis Moult scored with a, a very nice finish where he's lobbed the keeper from the edge of the box. Um, first of all, Andy, what were your thoughts on the actual game? Not a million miles away from what you've just summarised there, David. I've got to say, I was at the game and I thought the first half we should have been ahead. We should have been ahead quite comfortably, despite Motherwell making a couple of chances and the, the, the chance that you referred to as well. Um, and I, my mind went back to what I said on the pod a couple of weeks ago about missing chances. Now, it might sound like the most obvious thing in the world that if you miss chances, you're not going to win games. But we had a, a chance in the first three minutes to win this. And it was just an unbelievable miss. He could have done anything bar what he actually did. Mm. We had uh, another miss with Windass. We had Candace going close. We had Declan John going close with a header. We had Alves going close with a header. We had Morelis with a half chance. These are chances that if you get six, seven of them, one of them's got to be taken. Absolutely. So um, at half time, I thought we were in good position because my dad, the, the doom monger, I said, well, we're still making chances here. I'd be more worried if we weren't making chances. But as you said, it just didn't happen. Mm. The second half in particular, I got the impression, sometimes in a game you just know, and the feeling I had live, and I don't have it a lot, I'm not you know, a, a pessimistic fan, I always think that, that we're in it, but after about 60 minutes, I thought, I don't know if they think that they can get back into it. And when the second goal went in, uh, we completely lost our discipline, Ian. Now, um, having been a player in, in the day that didn't mind losing your discipline sometimes, was that just frustration at the end or, you know, after the manager was sent to the stand for complaining, I think, legitimately, and we'll talk about the referee later, about the dreadful foul on Fabio Cardoso that went unpunished and, in fact, Fabio Cardoso was left on the park bleeding after a head knock for, uh, for almost a couple of minutes after it before treatment was given. Is it a, a worry for us, Ian, that instead of fighting back the... Essentially, and I'm sorry to be overly critical of, of our team here, but they threw the toys out of the pram. Don't disagree with that at all, David. I think um, you know first uh, first first thirty minutes were you know easily the better side. I had that uneasy feeling as soon as Motherwell started making chances in the first half. Everyone was hoping for half time, and then to be honest, as you say, uh, we went one down to a scrappy goal. The players. I think I think Josh Windass probably summed you know his performance in the second half certainly summed up where it was almost a cowardly maybe unconsciously on his part but a cowardly performance hiding from responsibility one or two lost it definitely but you know we we were we were I think it was a mixture of frustration a mixture of being bullied uh, either legally or illegally by Motherwell who. Squad, squad for squad are, are, are not a better side than us uh, but they bullied us and frankly we we collectively as a team shat it in the second half and it's something I never expected from a Pedro built team just to be dominated like schoolboys. then Pedro loses the plot mm. and that's the point that we lost our discipline I listened to I kind of broke a curfew if you like and listened to sports sound after after the game to see what was being said and Willie Miller talked about Alec Ferguson 
and he said that you know good managers in his um, in his experience would try to instill a siege mentality and they would go off and win at the sidelines. Remember Walter Smith doing it with Mixu Patlinen? Yeah. And then stood back and let everybody else sort his backroom team sort it out. Mm. And it got a reaction. Pedro didn't do that. He just kept on going, kept on going. And from there, you saw the players just simultaneously down in pools at 2-0. But they also lost their discipline. You've got Alves, you've got Herrera... Uh, I, I, I'm amazed both of them stayed, stayed on the park along with Malt mm. you can dare wanting to fight with anyone and everyone as long as he was being held back it was a true kind of let me at them type style um, uh, it, it, frankly it was A a farce and B a disgrace Andy big word there for me and bullied I've got to admit I think we were as well because I think that yes the referee and as I say we'll, we'll talk about the referee let them away with a lot but we did seem to shrink under it and, and like he said I, I'm not sure that I expected that from a Pedro side but is that a fair thing to say or are we both just maybe reading too much into into a few incidents I think I think as the game progressed the physicality became too much for us because I think to start the game I was quite happy with the way we were stopping them doing what they, they want to do which is make the game into a whirlwind Make it physical, get balls into box, win corners, win set pieces. So I thought, I thought early doors we were kind of coping with that, and we were we were kind of holding up our hand. But as the game went on, the physicality went on. The referee clearly had a role to play in allowing that to happen, which is a different story altogether. Mm. And as the game went on in the second half, it just became too much for us, and that's where the frustration crept in, the the lack of focus, the lack of discipline, and it just crept into the game. And and the game plan if there was one, went out the window. So um, I think we let... The, the word bullying is what happened by the end of the game, but it could have been different if we had gone a goal up because obviously it changed the complexity of the game. They've got to keep going. We can start to control it a bit. So mm. uh, I would say, aye, second half, we were bullied. First half, I thought we kind of coped with it quite well, as we did in the first game of the season at Fur Park. I, I think that the, the two players who... Certainly online and in, in my immediate group, and you can tell me if it's, it's similar in yours, guys, is the two players who seemed to, to get the brunt of the criticism yesterday were um, uh, Josh Windass and uh, Carlos Pena. And I can understand it because, as we've spoken about on this pod before, if Pe- Pena does look like one of these guys who might do nothing in a game but then score a goal... But if he doesn't score the goal or do something brilliant, then that means he just does nothing in a game. And yesterday he was he was a non-factor, and it was yet another classic Windassian week where on Friday the, the Ranger social media team post a picture of him scoring an absolute world day in training, and then yet when he gets onto the field, it just doesn't it just doesn't in any way transfer. And he clearly has no confidence in his ability to finish, and. I think with good reason, and neither do we, because he misses key chance or he misses a key pass too often. And I think you can start with one of them. I don't think that you can carry both of them in a in a match because for long periods you're you're really competing with nine players. And I really felt that yesterday. I thought that they both really struggled to have any impact in the game. Ian. It, it, what are the options here? 
do we write off Pena as talented but too flaky? Do Windass, do we say, look, there might be a player in there, but you know it's going to take a surgeon, I think, to get it out? What do we do? Well, we've talked about Windass before, and you know I, I'm, I'm firmly of the belief, you know, he's, he's got great technical ability, but sawdust between his ears. That he's he, he, he almost does the the good stuff unconsciously when he's not thinking about it. It's almost like Kenny Miller of 10 years ago. He does the good stuff unconsciously, and then when he thinks about it, mm. it's rabbit in the headlights stuff. But he does a lot but, less good stuff than Kenny Miller of 10 years ago. Uh, indeed, indeed. And, and I must admit that the whole heightened from his ability... So his dad was at the game yesterday. He must have been cringing inside, and if he's not, he should be. Um, as for Pena, we'll go back to what was said umpteen times personal opinion is I think we've all acknowledged that we see a player in there but and I'm sure we'll come on to it what do we expect of Rangers we expect winning and can we afford the luxury in the current climate for a player to come and take a year 18 months to that and I think the answer is no to that we can't write him off we can't write him off with what we've paid um, so that's that's a tough one I think the key for Pena is he's now being ridiculed by the press, by opposition fans. It feels a bit like Reggie Winker syndrome. Andy, uh, it's it feels like a big a big loss. Um and not the first time this season. And yesterday my my gut feeling is is you may know um listeners I do a kind of post match YouTube video um after every game, win, lose or draw. And the reaction is different, and I always say on it, maybe I'll feel different after sleeping on it. And yesterday was the the first time where I felt after defeat that Pedro isn't going to be the man for the job because no matter how much I tell, I want him to succeed, and this is not an uncommon view. All the fans I know feel this way, that they really desperately want the guy to succeed because he's very likeable, because he's very passionate, and because of the treatment that he's had from the media in this country. And I've been grasping on to anything at all, any anything that any sign that I could say, well, it's, it's turning round or give him a bit of time or all that. And all the while, there's been a voice at the back of my head saying, "He's not got it. It's, this is it's not going to happen." You know, you're you're seeing things that aren't there. And I've shut that voice up. But yesterday, for the first time, that voice overwhelmed the kind of optimistic one. And today, I've got to say, I I, I don't. I haven't changed my mind on that. And given Pedro's press conference today, where he he said that the players are an embarrassment to him, an embarrassment to the fans, an embarrassment to the club, it's a very strong statement. And in fact, you, you could say that it's the nuclear button for a manager because once you've pressed it, it's, it's pressed. And you either get a reaction or you don't. And if you don't, you've got nothing left. To me, given the way he's spoken about his players in the past... I, I thought that that was a man who that defeat had haunted. Yeah, I think for for managers, there's always a tipping point. And I like to think I'm always at the kind of latter end of the tipping point because mm. I, try, I, I firmly believe you need to give managers time. I think in particular the Rangers' job just now is mammoth. I think there's so much baggage, there's so much peripheral stuff that we kind of we sometimes forget about. Um, and I did it with McCoy, I did it with Warburton, but 
with both those managers, there was tipping points. I think with Warburton, it was the second defeat at Tynecastle. Though I finally realised, look, this isn't going to get any better. Mm. With McCoy, so it was when we, we lost to Alloa after being two nothing up. And yesterday, it felt much the same for for Pedro Cachinha. I felt the last drops of the goodwill in the crowd are being wrung out, and I'm a firm believer that it's the crowd of the games that you can gauge it by. Forget Twitter, forget Collins. Forget hotlines or even message boards on occasion. The fans at the grounds that attend week in, week out are the ones that will actually turn the tide. A thousand percent. If you like, Absolutely. when uh, uh, yeah, when boards and directors will actually notice and and think that this is uh, changes required. I felt that yesterday, and personally, I felt it as well because I came out of the game and nothing adds up in his defence. The players that he's picking. Are not uh, they're not coming through from right now? You can blame the players. You can say they've got responsibilities, but <clears throat> I mentioned last time Windass, he would have been one of the first players out the door for me. Yeah, a a mouse. Uh, you can't put that in a player. You can't make a professional player give them desire. They've got to come from from within. He's put a lot of faith in him. I'll never be repaid. It's going to cost him his job. Pena similar. He's simply. Um, so off the off the, 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 the kind of speed of the game that it, it can't be played. There was an impact on Ross Jack, uh, Ross, sorry, Ryan Jack and um, Graham Doran yesterday because of it. The two of them were too petrified to take the ball off the goalkeeper yesterday because they were a man short in front of them. Mm. Pena could not keep possession no matter where he was giving the ball in the park. So when you've got that, it spreads freer through the team. Tavernier hit more long balls yesterday than I've seen him do all season. Alves done the same. It was because with two players there, they were basically contributing nothing. Yeah, and they um, had to cut out the team. You've said about Winda. Sorry, David. No, no, I'm just saying that because you're right, they had two guys that they went, oh, that's not an option. So it limited their option yes. because they could tell what was half the ball went, it was coming back too quickly. So they're effectively being limited to eight outfield players. No, I think it's a. I, I do. I think some days you you just get the feeling that that something has changed. And and a chat posted on Twitter, and I forget your name, sir. So I'm very sorry if you're listening. But a, a friend has said, "Where does all this support come from?" Because if you look at it, he was brought in. Pedro was brought in with a mandate because one of the things he said was, "I'll assess the the playing squad and hit the ground running, uh, and I'll I'll and for the next season." But I'll also improve players who are here through coaching and I don't think that happened so okay you go right well he, he couldn't really turn that around but we were prepared to say collectively these are Warburton's players we know they're diddies and they're, they're, no manager could do anything with them he got off to an impressive start because he got the players he wanted I think the board did deliver more than we all expected in terms of backing and players and signings and whatnot. We started off disastrously with, with the Luxembourg result, with the Niedercorn result. And I hate when Scott's right. And Scott just starts off all the time, just the first time of trouble, he'll go, aye, shite. But I went, no, no, it's okay, we just we need to get off to a winning start in the league and then this is just a disappointment. And, you know, the Hibs game happens, we start dropping points, and I say, well, okay, but once the team gets settled, there's good signs. And Partick Thistle away happens, we struggle past them in the League Cup. Celtic come, we don't lay a glove on them. Um, And Pedro's three matches against Celtic, 
all of which have been so passive as to be asleep and so scared, um, genuinely more scared than than a, a relegation haunted side would be against Celtic. And they lost a record to Aberdeen. I mean, there's so many of these things yet. The fans, and I understand it because I'm one of them, would go, I but. And what if we'd scored in this one, and it, it, you know we could have been four points clear, if, or we could have been four points better off if it wasn't for refs, or we could have had three points more, or we could have won that if he hadn't missed that chance. And after a while, I just realised, hang on a minute, we're the kings of could have. You know, uh, there, there's nothing concrete that we can argue apart from the fact that Pedro can't win three games in a row. Rangers went to play Motherwell in a League Cup semi final and ended it well beaten, and it's. Not the first disaster. It's not even now you can count them on one hand disasters. And I, I, I want to. I, I really do. I mean, I really want to go, Pedro. You're right. I'm wrong. Guys that are backing Pedro, you're right. I'm wrong. But it's happened before. It happened with McCoy's. It happened with Warburton. And I'm late. I'm like you, Andy. I'm late to the party. And when I think it's gone, it's because it's gone, usually. Because I am so overly optimistic. I wait far too long. And there are guys who would go in and, and cut it out much earlier. I, I don't do that. And that, I'd say it's a fault, but it's one based of, you know, it's one based of an honest desire for people to succeed at the club and to think the best of everyone. But Ian... Uh, I just, I, I can't do it anymore. I can't turn around and say, I believe that this man will turn it around because I've got no evidence other than just my own desire for him to be a success. If you, uh, uh, slightly different context, David, but, uh, you know, Andy, for me, spot on. Yesterday was the Warburton at Tynecastle moment. And I remember you and I did the pod in February, David, mm. where I, it was a completely different context. And I'll freely admit, I think you and I just lost our shit yeah. that, that night. And we took some abuse for it. That was fine. T- tonight's a wee bit more despondent. We really like Pedro, but would be the inverted commas. Mm. At, at the end of the day, I want him to succeed. But I want each and every Rangers manager to succeed. Because if they do, we do. Mm. Pedro's talked the talk, we've all liked that, but he's failed to deliver continually. And quite frankly, I'm at the point of past caring about Pedro. I want Rangers to be the first thought, not Pedro Cuxinha, and it's now time to do the right thing by the club. If you look at the charge sheet, you know, he's had 25 games, he's never won more than two in a row. We even did three games consecutively against Ross County, Dundee, Partick Thistle. He's got the thick end of a... He's got a 28% loss record. That's almost one in three games. Worst defeat. Which, which makes sense when you think about the that three games seems to be the magic number. You know, so, one in worst, one home two. Defeat, worst, worst home defeat to Celtic ever, ever. First home defeat to the Sheep. The last time we lost to the Sheep, Terry Waite was in a fucking hole in the Lebanon. Yeah. <laughs> worst ever European result. We effectively lost... To the fourth best team in Luxembourg, and Luxembourg's got the population of Edinburgh. We didn't like effectively lose. We, we did. Yeah, no qualification needed. It's like losing to Spartans, and then yesterday we get bullied off the park. Second half to Motherwell, whilst the relatively expensively assembled squad shatter enough's enough. No, I, I, I've got to agree, and I know that. People will be listening and saying, well, you know, David, you said that you thought there were signs of a good team. I do. I really do. But I can't keep... 
we can't sustain as a support on it could be uh, we're taking crumbs and trying to suggest that if we gather enough of them we'll be able to make a full meal and we won't and it's not going to sustain us and unfortunately Pedro wonderful guy but if you just step away for a minute and, and I actually asked a friend to do this from Northern Ireland he's a Spurs fan he doesn't really follow Scottish football understandably and uh, I said to him look tell me you know, Pedro and he said one his track record he should have been nowhere near your job two the amount of disasters that you guys seem willing to put up with it from him with no signs of it improvement and three the fact that he has been backed, he said, uh, from the outside looking in, it it seems crazy. And I, you know, when I took off the kind of blue, the blue tinted spectacles, Andy, I, I had to agree. I think I think the acid test, David, is the squad has improved, right? I don't think there's any doubt about it. No, I agree. But is it is he getting the most out of the squad? And the answer's no, because I, I, I maybe been a wee bit flip, flippant here, but. A Rangers team playing Motherwell at Hamden and a big park in a semi-final should nine times out of ten beat them without a manager. Right? Mm. <laughs> and I'm, I'm being exag- I'm exaggerating for effect here, but yesterday that team could have done so much better. So many games we've played since Pedro Kimber, we could have played so much better. And that then points to the manager. I'm a great believer in, in making a decision after you've got a body of evidence to, to kind of base it on. Well, I've now got a body of evidence. And even myself, David, like yourself, a, a very, very optimistic and forgiving Rangers fan, I've not really got an excuse now. I cannot counter-argue somebody that tells me because you must go. No. I can't. And I, if I do, I'm doing it out of my heart rather than my head. Um, so I think, uh, I think the time has come now that um, there would need to be the most spectacular resurrections for him to turn this around and I, God I hope he does it yeah I think he's actually I can't think of any other manager in our history who could have had what he had and clung on um, maybe Mali because of the circumstances but even at that it's just been humiliation after humiliation and we've kept saying it's not his fault and at some point the goodwill has to run out and you have to say Pedro you're a cracking bloke you really are and the fans they all adore you but you're just not good enough to be the manager at our club and in many ways it's like some of the players we've had over the years youngsters coming through that you know you know are Rangers fans and you're desperate for them to succeed but after a while as you say after a body of evidence they're let go because you just know they're not going to hit the required standard and the problem I have in terms of recharging my optimism barometer, which usually happens the night after, you know, I give it 24 hours, sleep on it, wake up, bit calmer, bit more rational. The reason that it's not working this time is I do know what's likely to happen this week. We're likely to beat Kilmarnock and then lose to Hearts. We're likely to win the games against, if you like, the bottom six teams and as soon as we go into a game with a challenge, we will lose. And because we've already lost so many of these, and the fans, in my anecdotal ev- evidence and experience, don't believe Pedro's going to do it, that seeps through to the team, and a losing culture is fostered and developed. 
some managers, the old thing is I'd rather have a lucky manager sometimes than a good one, right? And I think X is a great example of a manager who, you know, a lot of the time the, the chips fell for him, which is great. But some managers are winners and some are just losers. And Pedro, unfortunately, I think is, is a loser. And, I, I, you know, nice guy, bold, ambitious experiment at a time where I'm not sure we should have been taking bold and ambitious experiments, but we're coming to that. But yesterday was, for me, I can't I can't keep lying to myself. I know what's going on here. I feel like, you know, the partner of a cheating spouse who knows, you know, you find the receipts and the, the dodgy excuses about staying over at a mate's house, but you know you just don't want to confront it. And that's, that's kind of where I am with Pedro. Now, it seems that we're in agreement here, and... I'm I'm with you, Andy. I believe that the majority of the rank and file support, you know, the the, the guys who go every week, I I think they are closer to this than the closer to us than the guys who say no, we've got to keep them. Do we trust this board to make the right appointment next? Start off with you, Andy. Well, I'll be honest. This is my greatest fear, and this is probably one of the reasons that I've I've been so uh, hopeful that Pedro as a solution because what happens next is a, a real, real problem for us because both in the short term and the long term we've got a problem here. In the short term we're six points off top just now that potentially, if we're being optimistic on Wednesday, could be cut further if, if either Aberdeen or Celtic drop points which will happen. Uh, and it's so, so if we temper the, the, the kind of discussion we're having here and say, well, let's look at it realistically in the league. We've just had a tremendously bad result in the cup but in the league well, it's still there, right? We're still there or thereabouts, despite everything. And we have got five games coming up, which I think are undeniably winnable. Um, but they were part of a seven-game uh, run of games that was uh, kind of going to be a defining period, and it's just been lanced completely by that result. So if you look forward, we get rid of Pedro. First of all, if we, if we sack him just now, with no permanent replacement lined up, where are we? We've got, we're back to Murty, we're back to an interim Stuart McCaw or something like that. I don't think that is much better than sticking with the guy. I that, really don't. That's a fair I don't point. Uh, that's think a you get much point. from that. No, that's a very fair point. So, and the, se- the Sorry, David, the second point I was going to say is that what is the profile of our next manager, right? Does he have to be British because we seem to be locked into a, a, a physical league that is not going to change? Does he have to have a Rangers background to kind of compensate for the, the shite that he's going to have to put up with in terms of the, the peripheral situation of the club, which is still undeniably there? Are we going to have a share issue to budget it? Are we going to uh, leave it down to the director of football? What's his role? So there's all these things at play here, which it's not a case of sack Pedro and get somebody in. I think we've got a major problem in our hands in terms of getting the next guy. Is it McInnes? Because see if it's McInnes, I can see the logic. I don't particularly want McInnes because I watch Aberdeen and I don't like watching them mm. and I don't like the way they set up and I think it's backwards uh, and and I think again that's maybe something we've clung to, to Pedro this kind of notion that it might be progressive and it might change things so so I'm worried I'm very worried um, all, all very fair points I think that in terms of managers if you go if you like the straightforward route then Derek McInnes ticks a lot of boxes but as you say um, the football that Aberdeen plays isn't great and on top of that 
I'd mentioned earlier some managers are winners. Derek McInnes had a a long period to have a crack at Celtic and a poor Celtic under Ronnie Dyla and didn't lay a glove on them. So mm-hmm. you know we could be we could be moving from a guy who doesn't have it to a local guy who doesn't have it. Then you look at perhaps a statement manager. Well, firstly, do we have the cash? Probably not. But I will give the board their due. They have dug in and got money before. So who knows? But do you do what Celtic did where you say, well, we're going to, the, the majority of the money is going to go on the manager at the moment because we ain't getting a good coach in. And there's no doubt Rodgers has improved them. I said this yesterday about a statement manager. And a few people come back and went, what, Rodgers is a statement manager? And I'm, look, he's a shiny-faced, melon-toothed fud, but <laughs> he is a good manager. And at the end of the day, you were coming off the guy, the ex-Liverpool manager, Coming to Scotland was a coup, and it's just silly to pretend it wasn't. It was. It was a big signing for them. So, do you then go for someone like, well, the, the name that keeps bringing up, Frank De Boer, who was a guy we probably couldn't have got previously, but you know he, he needs to. He's in a position now where he absolutely has to recycle his reputation, if you will, after uh, coming off failures at Inter and Crystal Palace. But again, you know, Dutch coaches, as we know from experience, can be very arrogant. Can be very. Uh, this is my way and we're going to play it or else. And, you know, I don't know if our fans would accept that if it didn't bring instant success, which it didn't at Intern, it didn't, at, um, it, it didn't at Crystal Palace. And he himself said it could take years to, to get you all playing the way I want to. So then you go, well, do we try and attract someone from maybe the championship? But again, is the war button stigma there? And people say, oh, we've done that before and it didn't work. So I think you're absolutely right. And Graham Murty... I think did all right in his caretaker role, but I know other people disagree. And to be honest, I think you're right. I don't think it, it solves anything. It just puts us into more... I, I think it just stamps official crisis club on us rather than, you know, we're getting behind the manager and struggling. But my big theory in is we come into a period where the fans turn really badly on both the manager and the side. And if that happens... If the board don't have a plan in place now, because they must know that at best they might have to make a change, then I think that's a dereliction of duty. I totally agree. If the board don't have a plan B, then then frankly it's not good enough. I don't expect Pedro to be there much longer. Cards on the table. Uh, I don't much agree. I, I don't much believe in coincidence, David, as you know. Um... I think today's press conference was pretty telling when Pedro has gone from a couple of weeks ago of what goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas to fuck them, they're a complete embarrassment. Um, then just after that, at 12.43pm today, the club tweeted, so the, the, the press conference will be up very soon on Rangers TV and YouTube. Eight hours later, we're still waiting. Mm. As I say, maybe I'm reading too much into it. In terms of the let's assume he goes, the what happens next. I'd rather we focused on, rather than names first, I'd rather we focused on almost what our requirements are as a club. And we've gone through two periods in a football sense of, inverted commas, the, the, the new fad of projects. But pro- football projects suggest that failure is tolerated. And I'll go back to what I've said on a number of pods. We're Rangers. We're a massive club, an institution. Winning's in our blood and we need to win. We can't have a third project. 
with a manager handpicked by a footballing board who fucked up the previous two out of two. We need to, for me, those requirements are we get back to basics. Winning winning constantly, four, five, six, ten games in a row. At the minute, I genuinely couldn't give a damn about the brand of football. I'd rather we went back to basics. We fight fire with fire. If that means that we fight fire with fire with hammer throwing cunts around the league and we build a team of fighters and grafters and winners and then we add the football on top of a spine, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite into that. I do believe we need someone with a record of turning teams around within the UK. doesn't have to be a British manager, but they need to have a record of building such teams. We could go with that short-term fix, the Alex McLeish, the Walter Smith. I want to be crystal clear. Alex McLeish might get about the current squad, but history dictates for him that he goes downhill when he starts to rebuild. And Walter wouldn't want the hassle, let's face it. No. McInnes. Uh, Andy, you mentioned McInnes. I'll, likewise, I don't, I don't want McInnes. I, I think he's he's suited to small-time club mentality and being a nearly man. And did cost a million quid. Wouldn't surprise me one uh, one little bit if Kenny Miller was appointed interim player manager. But hold that thought for a second while she both laugh. Yeah, and um, spontaneously like bust more like you know you'll need to take over hosting duties. Two um, two names against those requirements. If we all believe those are requirements, and just looking at managers that are out of work, two names for me stand out. Um, Sam Allardyce. Think Bolton, Blackburn, Crystal Palace, and Nigel Pearson. Think Leicester before Ranieri took over. And there's two guys that have got success in the UK of building teams up. There's some other dark horses kicking around. Paulo Souza did it with Swansea. Alan Pardew, although had a circus around that. Um, and the Elia Casino would be happy if he arrived right enough. Yeah, indeed, and. I guess you talked earlier about pushing the boat out, about thinking big, about statement managers. Um, Laurent Blanc did exactly that rebuilding process at Bordeaux and took them from being an absolute shambles to him getting the French job. He's been out of work for 16 months. That, that, That could be your trophy manager. I think that... I don't believe that... Some of those are realistic. I'll be honest. I mean, the the, the likes of Allardyce. One, he, he tends to bring a, a a backroom team of about twenty five with him wherever he goes. And two, I believe that if he takes a job in a, I think it's about eighteen months, he owes Crystal Palace two million. So I don't think he's realistic. But I get where you're coming from with the names, and I do agree with being ambitious because this week alone, Kilmarnock got Steve Clark. Now. You know, obviously we, we can all think what we like about Steve Clark, but that's a big coup for Kilmarnock. And I think that if you don't... What I just want with what, whoever is the, the new appointment, and, and people might say, why are you speaking about manager? We've got one. I, I agree with the boys. I don't think for much longer. And wouldn't it be nice to get a manager we were pleasantly surprised about as opposed to one that we had to look up on Wikipedia? Andy, I've got to admit to a bit of frustration that we're sitting here saying, well, what we need to do is sit down and look at the type of guy we want and then look at where it needs to go. We're we're only talking seven months after this happened. Yeah. I mean, I think today, just a word on the press conference today, I think what we saw today was a guy with, with nothing to lose. 
I think he knows the writing's on the wall here. And basically, uh, I think after the Celtic game with the summit, where the, the, the players spoke to the management and vice versa, and I called that the kind of nuclear bomb. I think you referred to it as well, Zach David. He's done the same again today because there's no much left in the tank to do because he's fighting for his job here. Um, but back to the managers, who do we get next? It's um, I, I don't have the knowledge to say who. Right? If, if I to say a, a kind of prototype or art, archetypical um, manager, say Tony Pulis, right? But that's not realistic. But that's the kind of guy we're looking for. Somebody that's hard as nails, but also knows the game inside out and can make players respond. I think that's kind of mollycoddling on players to come out of shell and, and become Rangers players. It's not going to happen. We need players to stand up, be counted, and be Rangers players. Now, you do that with a British-based team, I think. If you look back to the past, we've bought players in the past that you probably wouldn't have thought of. John Brown's the example I always use. A guy playing the Scottish Leagues under our nose and what a player he became. There are players like that around the country, Scotland and England. Just need to look at Motherwell yesterday. Half that team are playing non-league a couple of seasons ago. Mm. And look at the performances they're, they're pulling out of them. If you can get a team that functions, as Ian says, he's absolutely spot on. He's probably reminding me of something that I, I forgot. If you've got a team that can fight first and foremost, you can add players to it that add the guile and the skill. Maybe that's where we need to go. We need to go back to basics. But I'm, I'm very interested to see what the director of football's role is, is, is in this because the other, the other point here, a, a director of football, is you go for a manager. Will they want to work under a director of football? Does he know the director of football? Is that relationship key or is it just a case of scouting? I don't know because we've never been really told. Mm. I, I I do wonder sometimes in terms of signing. See, I, I, I've advocated before and I, I stand by it that the way for a club to, to, to get back to success after a period of not having it is for us is to look at the Celtic model from the 90s which is buy up the best affordable talent in your league and the most exciting affordable talent in your league and then over time complement that with if you like as you say the kind of marquee signings from abroad again that's within your budget and I think that Louis Moult is a good example of that now people will know I, I banged on about him in the summer and I said we should sign him and I, you know, I stand by it and it's easy for me to come back on here and say well I told you so after this but it's not his first good performance and it's not uh, like suddenly I, I've got a great eye for a player he scored plenty of goals for a shit Motherwell side last season he was a good player he was available for 600 grand and it makes no sense at all that we didn't that we didn't go for him. And I think that some of our support suffer from the kind of pickiest guy in the soup kitchen queue mentality, which is, well, actually, I don't like uh, chicken and vegetable. Um, sometimes you need to take what you can get. And the amount of players that we have lost by going, well, he's playing for Motherwell, he must be shite. He's playing for Hearts, must be shite. Whereas, oh, unknown Mexican, how exciting. And, and yeah, I understand that. I, I get excited by it. It, it. It's the 90s it, mentality and it. It, it, it makes me go, ooh, you know. And if you don't know a lot about a player, you can project onto him and imagine that he's going to do all these great things. The fact is, is that we are in a position where, I think both of you have come across it, where we need to win first and foremost and for that you need battlers because we will be up against it we've seen that teams raise their game against us teams really push to to you know they really want to beat us more so bizarrely than they want to beat you know the undefeated team for for the last 14 months but they do 
And I just don't see... Some people as well listening might be going, well, guys, you're pointing out a lot of problems, but you're not offering a lot of solutions. And it's because the solutions aren't easy. And it will take people with probably intelligence far, far greater than mine and certainly salaries far greater than mine to come up with these solutions. But that's what they're paid for. Sometimes the options you have are not a great one and then several others. Sometimes it's shit option and slightly less shit option. And we might need to find the slightly less shit one for a while up until we bring ourselves back to a level where the options appear a bit better. Because short of one of us winning the Euro Millions and and putting the money into the club, it's not going to change rapidly. And I do worry, and I understand it because I do it myself, but I do worry that too many of us want to to run before we can walk and we keep falling because we're just missing a stage and Pedro was a swing for the fences there's no doubt about it it hasn't worked it's not going to work I don't agree with it's cost as a season because you know it's the inexorable march of time we'll get another go at it next season you know but I just think that we need to we need the board to sit down acknowledge their mistake acknowledge what they've done wrong and then say this is how we write it, and there's a lot of there's a lot of people at that at that club who earn good money to do exactly that, and I think it's it's time for them to do that and to face up to the mistake that they've made, deal with it, and come up with a better solution by learning from the error they made last time, Ian. I think there's also one point to add to that, David, and 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 as you know, I I kind of pride myself in being a cynical pessimist as opposed to the eternal optimist uh, but you know you get in the run up to a game and the optimism in me does bubble up to the top I think the key just now is we've also got to recognise the season's not over it's the 23rd of October we are only six points behind the top two who are playing each other this week, and as Andy said, are going to drop points. One of them will, both of them might. We're only six points behind in the Scottish Cups there to play for. So we can either throw it in the towel and chuck it, or we can make change to try and make things better. You know, just for, for me, plundering along and hoping it'll get better whilst all the while there's a, a continuous cycle can't be the answer, it just can't be. Um, if we can make positive change, we can make inroads in this league. I, I, I genuinely, genuinely believe that. But we've got to put together that solid, solid uh, winning run, winning mentality, change the, change the narrative around the club. Um, and in terms of do I trust that to happen? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really quite, going back to what Andy said, I'm quite fearful as to the, what happens next and who's making the decision and do I trust them to make the right choice? As you say, there's people employed at that club on huge salaries that are there to actually make those choices. I think they've just made them poorly to date. And, you know, what I'll say, David, and let's not mince our words around this, two out of two have been wrong with this current board. They had damn well better make the next one fucking right. 
Well, I just think that there's consequences in most jobs and there's consequences um, for Pedro, quite obviously. There's consequences for a manager. There's con- uh, consequences in any job for poor performance. And you're right, if, if this appointment is botched, which is probably the most key thing that can happen, then there, there should be consequences for the people who are making that decision. And certainly if it's the case that they're running the ship, they should remove themselves from it and hand it over to someone who knows a bit more about it. Um I think then, you know, that our position is clear. Let us know what you think. Um, I'm, you'll get the boys at the end, but I'm on Twitter at Ibrox Rocks. You can contact the the podcast on Facebook if you go to and just search for Heart and Hand, the Facebook, uh, the Rangers podcast on Facebook, and you'll find us. So, you know, let us know. And I know a lot of people are saying, well, you know, you're premature and all the rest, but I really, I really don't think we are because it's, uh, to put it, uh, you know, to, to, put, to put it euphemistically, right now I've got toothache. And I'm pretending that I don't need to go to the dentist because I fucking hate going to the dentist. Now, I know I'm going to have to go to the dentist eventually, but right now I'm taking ibuprofen and going, nah, I'll be fine. It's it's just a bit of sensitive teeth. It's not. It's fucking toothache, right? That's what you're doing, unfortunately. You're, you know, you know what it is, but you're pretending it's something different because you don't want to admit it. And I get it. I'm the same. We're all going to have to go on this journey at some point. And for some of us, it will be... For some of us, it will be longer and more painful than it is for others. We all get off the, the bus at different stops, but uh, eventually everybody will be on the bus. Now, we can't leave the game, and I hate doing it after a defeat because, you know, sour grapes. Uh, it's not, because I think it's pretty clear that we've got 50 minutes into this show and we we place the blame squarely on Rangers' poor performance. But the standard of refereeing on on Sunday was shocking. And it's now the at least the fifth or sixth Rangers game this season where I've said bloody hell the referees are awful. And for me, I think part of it is that I watch a lot of football, I watch a lot of European football, and the refereeing just isn't as bad. You, You can't argue with it, it just isn't as bad. And I get that maybe you don't bring through talented players in each country, but surely you can bring up referees to the same standard. Why are our referees so bad? First up, Andy, you 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 can explain this this uh, eternal question. I've got strong views on this. I've had strong views on this for a long time because it doesn't matter how many Malky Mackay, Project Braves you have, or Henry McLeish think tanks. If you let physicality be rewarded in your football, then that's what will reign, and that's what we've got now. We've seen it yesterday. That was. It was brutality yesterday, mm. and well, we're not making excuses for Rangers being defeated. It was a factor because tackles were flying, elbows were flying, things were going on which in any other league in Europe would not have stood. There would have been bookings, there would have been sending offs, and it would have been stamped out. So it's actually a like an intrinsic thing in football or Scottish football, which I think is curtailing the progress of players. It's progressing the, the kind of advancement of tactical thought. It's prog- uh, curtailing everything that we won, we don't have, and then we wonder why Scottish football shit and we can't get World Cups, and we can't get European Championships, and the majority of our football teams uh, fail spectacularly against lower league teams in Europe. I think that there's an entire sea change required, and I'm not just saying that because of yesterday. I've been saying this for. For years now, actually. No, you have, and I think you you touched upon a key point there that to to if you like illustrate that attitude, Bruno Alves uh, came out and said 
this is appalling. It's a problem, the amount of physicality you allow in your league. And straight away, people went, that's, oh, that's what it's like in Scotland. Get used to it, you pansy. And I, I just thought, yeah, because it's working. You know, our game is so fucking healthy that we can we can absolutely just disregard... Because Portugal, what the fuck have they won, you know? And it's... It was a hammer-throwing game. It wasn't particularly entertaining. So you, you can't say, oh, people love the Blood and Thunder game. If you watched it as a neutral, as I say, I've watched it twice now, it was a shit game. I mean, there was better football on over the weekend. Um, and if you want... I mean, there was a UFC on Saturday night of Blood's your thing. So, Ian, it, it does appear that, there, that we've got either referees who are too scared to give decisions... In fact, I don't even think that's valid based on yesterday because how the hell can you miss a guy being thumped so badly that his nose gets gets broken? I again, I agree. You know, I'd I'd rather be talking about refereeing after a win. Otherwise, I agree, it tends to sound like sour grapes. But yesterday, yesterday was just different. Yesterday was just downright dangerous, and it's the lack of authority from the referee Stephen McLean that resulted in. A badly broken nose. I mean, Jesus, you saw, you saw the state of it on social media, and and the melee towards the end when, frankly, Alves, Herrera, and Moll probably should have been sent off. Question is then, what can be done about it? Um, I'll take a slightly parochial view that might end up with the same outcome, and say it's not up to us, it's not up to Rangers to improve the officiating, but it is up to. Rangers to look after our own interests and I found there was um, an interview with Brendan Rogers doing the rounds today, probably from his press conference I'm I'm guessing Um, we all know that the media in this country like to treat St Brenda's comments with a bit of a reach around in a Kleenex so he he, he got asked about the, the penalty that Hibs got on Saturday and he tells the world that the linesman got it wrong and he apologised and he talks about our game and he, he talks about the apparent sympathy for, for Kashinia. Uh, and, you know, the, the decisions worried me. The officiating was poor. It was like the 80s. But then he throws in, and the player involved, he was talking about Bowman, uh, what, uh, had a similar incident at Parkhead with Kieran Tierney last season. And for me, there you have it. That, that was a kind of professionalism from Rogers. It was sod all to do with Rangers. It was sod all to do with Pedro. It was all about cute control of the the narratives ahead of big games and the cup final against Motherwell. It's professional. It's obvious. We just don't do it. In that respect, I believe our our board are actually failing Rangers. And because of it, we become a soft touch. And in in turn, that officiating is allowed to continue. I believe if, if if we were out there front and centre, the officiating by default would improve. It's going to take a long time, and alongside that, there's got to be you know uh, programs of improvement and all that kind of bullshit that was talked about for years and years and years. But Rangers have to look after our own shit, and at the minute, we're not doing it. I... That's a good point. You know, if I just come in for a second there about what you're saying, Ian, there's two instances happened this year where Rangers were kind of naively restrained where they could have went absolute town on uh, the referees and, and, and changed the narrative as you say the first one was the Hubs game because we've all seen that we didn't really say anything after that I've got to say that we were quite uh, 
meek. Dignified is the word we always use. And meek, meek is aye, meek. And, and then again, at the Celtic game, we had incident where Kashinja uh, highlighted Brown's elbow. And it, it died a death as well. These are things that you say and are correct. We should have been driving this home and saying, right, wait a minute, let's, let's get this on the, the newsreels, let's get this on YouTube, let's get this on social media. It, we've, we've stood back and let it happen, and I don't know why. I agree with, with both of you, and I agree, um, Ian, that, that Rogers didn't bring this up out of a sense of, of you know helping us. He, he did it because, you're right, he wants to, to change the narrative and, and make sure that our referee's looking out for Bowman in, in the cup final. However, if you just again take a step back, we have a footballer here who, within a calendar year, has knocked out a player's teeth and then smashed a player's nose. This is a dangerous player, and... Managers will always give you he's not that type of player and I think fuck it's remarkable because nobody seems to be that type of player. Bowman is that type of player. He injures his opponents. He's a dangerous and reckless player. And it wouldn't be tolerated in any other league, any other seat or top league, top division league uh, in Europe because you would not be allowed to play like that. And unfortunately people and our support will say, well, we just need to toughen up and give it back. And you're like, well, like Ryan Jack did and got sent off for, for hee-haw. That's the problem that we face, is that officials here don't punish the instigator. They don't punish the initial sinner, if you like. But they'll go badly after anyone who does who does something to, to try and protect themselves afterwards. And I can understand players getting frustrated with it. We did lose our discipline, which would have been better channeled into getting us back in the game yesterday. But, you know, I can understand if you think that the referee's going to let people away with belting you that uh, you might think, ah, fuck it. You know, if that's the way it's going to be, then I'm going to go down this road as well. But Andy is spot on. It holds us back. It holds us back as a country. And uh, it probably won't. Nothing in Scottish football changes. As you said, Andy, we can have task forces up the arse. We, we seem to have had a task force every year I've been alive, you know? And uh, nothing ever changes because at the end of the day, people just... Can get away with you, you get away with the the Bowmans of this world who are throwbacks to the nineteen eighties, and that's after David. Uh, sorry, Andy. That 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 that's, that that's after all the pre-match press around the fella Hartley. Don't know his first name. Peter. The fella Hartley t- telling the world that he's going to smash up uh, Morelos, um, and as you say, Bowman's history. You know, it's 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 tolerated in a kind of dinosaur football in society. That's why I do think it is up to Rangers to be changing the narrative, to be front and centre, to be out there, to be you know, let, let's he did this in the past, he did this in the other game. I hope the referee is going to be tough, so on, so on. But we just don't. We generally never ever have, and therefore we end up. It's it's almost a you know you, you I believe in life you tend to get the outcome you deserve, um, and in this sense that's a natural outcome if we're not going to challenge it. No, I I, I can't argue. Um, well, I think you know we've covered a lot of the topics that arose from the weekend. We we obviously have a game this Wednesday. We're playing Kilmarnock and we can only go at the time of recording. Pedro is still in charge, although, as you said, and it seems to be gathering some momentum on social media, the the press conference not being released has, uh, has certainly got tongues wagging. So we'll see what happens with it. But as we stand right now, Kilmarnock, Steve Clark appointed as our new manager. Um, Rangers going into it at the back of a bad result. Kenny Miller, 
seen at the game with Dave King. Um, quite clearly no fan of the manager and you don't have to be a genius to work that one out. Are we likely to see Kenny Miller return on Wednesday even if Pedro is still there, Andy? No. I think uh, I think there's a, a breakdown relationship there. I think it would be a, a sign of weakness or, or Kishina would see it as a sign of weakness if he brought him back. I'll be honest. I don't think it would make much difference. It's not as if Kenny's been, been ripping it up this year. Um, so I, I don't expect to see Miller back in a Rangers jersey as long as Kishinia's there. Uh, if if Kishinia goes, then uh, if we get the kind of safe pair of hands type that we're thinking might come along, the probably first thing they'll do is turn to Kenny and, and get him in the team. I think it's hanging about like a bad smell now. And it, it, it's also uh, another subtext we don't need and when you add it all together, the results, the the Muller thing, uh, the, the Dave King being here at all, uh, it just adds to a, a situation where it doesn't sit right, apart from the obvious, if, if that makes sense. There's something in the wind is, is basically what's happened, even before yesterday. Uh, again, just symbols and, and uh, emblems of, of managerial Renzi and the what did it say about uh, Pedro's position that Dave King was pictured, uh, and, and let's be honest, it wasn't like they were trying to hide it, pictured chatting away to Kenny Miller before before the match? I'm always surprised as there wasn't selfies being taken, David. Um, I think, uh, you know, you, you had Lee Wallace sticking up for Kenny Miller, both of them chatting to the uh, to, to, to the chairman, to Dave King, Um who, incidentally, I, I, as a complete aside, I thought Dave King. Dave King gets a lot, a, a lot of bad press, um, but uh, TV broke straight. The first thing he did at the final whistle was going to congratulate this, the, the, the Motherwell management team. He I should have hooked. No, no, he should have hooked one of them. I, I thought that was spot. No, he, he should have set fire to the VIP box and in the confusion claimed a draw. Fair enough, um, but th- there's. It, we'll, we'll go back to. I don't believe in coincidence. Um, Dave King doesn't like going to games. He's actually said that. He prefers watching them on Rangers TV because he doesn't need to leave South Africa. And all of a sudden, Understandable. Yeah. It's a cunt of a taxi. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, symbolism, lack of coincidence, etc. Just happens to be sitting beside the captain and, and, and the, the, the most vocal apparently outspoken mm. critic of the manager and the playing squad who's been ostracised. Um, I don't believe any of it's a coincidence. I don't believe Pedro will be there much longer. I'll be surprised if he's there probably Wednesday, let alone Saturday. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's... I do think it's a poor show, right? I, 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 I believe this under Paul Le Guin. I believe this just now. I do think it's poor when player power and individual player power wins. I believed it with Ferguson under Paul Le Guin. I believe it with Miller under here. However, the flip side is Ferguson and Miller are winners. Paul Le Guin and Pedro Cuxinha aren't. Mm, that's a good point. Andy, from a football point of view, what changes would you make? What changes can we make for, for Wednesday? I think, practically speaking, the first thing I would do is uh, show up the left-hand side. 
one of the few kind of positives I saw on Sunday was Dylan, uh, Dylan, Declan. I still kind of see that name, Declan <laughs> John. <laughs> Dylan, um, Dylan Watts, I just call him Elton. <laughs> uh, Declan John uh, was the only one that was brave enough to kind of move forward with the ball, take me on, try and advance the team. Get him behind. I think we could probably use him further up the park instead of Windass. Uh, Hodgson, Hodgson's not the answer long term, not a long shot, but he could come in and do a job for us against Kilmarnock, surely a left back and have John in front of him. Uh, and apart from that, we've got to look at Pena. Yeah. Uh, it's one thing persevering and having faith with a guy, but if it's blind faith and it's to the detriment of other players, so you're not just losing one player, you're losing potentially Ryan Jack and Graham Dorn's effectiveness, it can't happen. So I think he really has to bite the bullet with this. You need a result. Don't play him. Put him on the bench. You can bring him off. That's bring him off and uh, bring him on in the second half and and can I use him as an impact sub if we need to? But uh, I think there's a there's a definite shout to get Jason Holt back in the team, push Dorns forward a wee bit, um, and, and see if that adds a wee bit of dynamism to the team both on the left hand side and, and in the middle of the park. That might spark something. Uh, those are two changes I'd be perfectly happy with. Other options is you could play Herrera up top with Morelos, which uh, you're on the risk of then the team just play at the big man as opposed to through him. But it, it, it gives you that option to hit it long uh, if, if you want to do that. So uh, there are options there. Jason Holt could come in, as you say, push push uh, Graham Dorans that bit further forward. I, I think there has to be. I, I don't think the fans will be particularly forgiven if both Windass and Pena start and start badly and we all know what Ibrox can be like for a player who the fans have turned on. Um, so predictions, gentlemen? Are you, uh, Ian, up first. Um, I'm fearful, I have to say, as in my usual cynical, uh, pessimistic way. Uh, Kill Marnock's first game led by Stevie Clark. They've got a point to prove. Wouldn't surprise me if we drop points in both the next two games, Kilmarnock and Hearts. So I'm going to go uh, unstaunchly for 1-1. Andy? I've got a Gary B. Um, you've practically said what exactly what I was going to say. I, I think there's going to be a hangover here. Uh, and I think with a new manager at Kilmarnock, they'll be very, very stuffy. Uh, and if we don't get an early goal in the first 20 minutes, I think... Uh, I think we could um, deteriorate. Um, I hope that's not the case, obviously, but I think if we don't score in the first half and go in at, uh, at half time, at least a goal up, I think we'll draw. Well, I think just to add, to, uh, so, sorry, Dave, just to add to that, Andy, I think the key is, you know, we've got the next, what is it, 46 and a half hours until kickoff on Wednesday. See if a change is made by then. I suspect we mm-hmm. win 5 nothing. If a change isn't Aye. made, we could end up, you know, we could we we, we could draw or lose. Well, yeah, I'm, I, I think that, that I'm so, going to disagree. Sorry, with, I think that's a psychological thing. With the players at the moment, I think there is as well. I think it's a very unhappy camp, and you can see it. But uh, I'm going to disagree with uh, Father Hogg and Monsignor McGowan there, uh, and their, <laughs> their unstaunched predictions. I'm going to say Rangers are going to win two 0 based entirely on blind faith. But uh, I haven't completely abandoned it as a religion, uh, so I, I think we'll do it. But I, I am fearful about Saturday because uh, Hearts, I think, are a good example of. You know, people say, well, what will change in the manager do? Levine's picked up 11 points at 18 uh, in his time there. 
and I know people joked about him picking the team previously he wasn't and removing Cathro it, it didn't make these players suddenly become better players overnight but it was clearly it removed something that wasn't working from the equation and sometimes you, you, you have to do that sorry Andy I, I spoke over you there what, what was the point you were going to make? Uh, basically I was going to say I think there's a psychological issue here I think the team played with fear on Sunday and I think it came for, for um, the kind of rhetoric that Pedro's coming out with this win-win thing they played with fear they were absolutely terrified to make a mistake um, and I think that that's a hard thing to shake especially when you've had a press, press conference of the ilk we saw today where he's basically piling more pressure than expectation on them uh, so I, I think that as you say Ian if you change the manager tomorrow, you might see a, a reaction in a positive sense. Well, it could well be. Um, if there are any significant changes, then go to our YouTube channel for an immediate response. Um, that's the place you'll find it. Now, uh, normally at this point, I'd be saying we'll be back later in the week. I'm not sure we will be this week because I'm moving house and I don't know what the situation will be in terms of recording something, but I will do my best to get uh, to get something out um, uh, on Thursday for the Heart and Hand Extra, but this may be a week that we have to miss, unfortunately, as real life creeps into podland. Um before I go, I just would like to, to or before we go, I'd just like to thank the listeners for Art Hand because, again, uh, we announced our live show um, at the Loudoun Tavern on December the 2nd, uh, starring Kevin Thompson, and we put the tickets up for sale and they sold out in three minutes. Two minutes, 24 seconds, to be precise. And I can't thank you enough. Uh, Your loyalty to the pod and the support you give us is absolutely incredible. And we are very, very, very grateful for it. So thank you for that. So all that remains for me to do then is to thank our executive producers in London, Mr Mike Lee and Paul Wiles, and to thank my two guests who came on. It's not an easy... Uh, show to do after uh, a big defeat and uh, it, it takes a set so thank you very much first of all Andy McGowan no problem David pleasure and thank you very much to Ian Hogg thanks guys thanks thanks everyone for listening my name's David Edgar blind faith loyal uh, let's all hold hands and staunch our way through this lots of love I'll speak to you again soon bye Network.